Hello and welcome to Runway Girl Network in Conversation, a deep dive into aviation and the passenger experience. I'm RGN Deputy Editor John Walton, and today I'm in conversation with Nicole Nowak, head of IAMA, the Independent Aircraft Modifier Alliance. But first, thanks to our sponsor. In Conversation is brought to you by Bolteron, a Simona company, purveyor of high-performance thermoplastics for tomorrow's aircraft interiors. Specialising in an extensive range of film and sheet products tailored to the requirement of the aerospace industry, Bolteron is dedicated to providing consistent, high-quality materials, advanced performance solutions, and meeting evolving trends in aircraft interior design. Learn more at boltaron.com. Now, Nicole, welcome to In Conversation. Thank you, John. So um, thank you for having me. I am at the same time grateful and excited for that chance and uh, happy to talk to you here. Hey, I'm delighted to have you on the show. So let's kick off uh, immediately. Who and what is IAMA? So that is actually easy to tell. So who is IAMA? So above all, IAMA is partners and competitors from the STC, so supplemental type certificate providing sector. We're doing aircraft retrofit modifications. It's partners and competitors, and the four founding members are EAD Aerospace, Envoy Aerospace, Adiat Airways Engineering and Lufthansa Technic. They are equal founding partners. And the good thing is we already gained one additional uh, partner and future member of our IMR association, uh, which is Aero Composites, uh, who lately joined in early September. Fantastic. So let's talk about your members and what exactly they do. So I'm an airline. How would I approach one of your members and what would I be approaching them for? So is an airline... Uh, you are interested in getting your modifications. So like if you want to invest into a new connectivity solution and if you want to invest in, an, uh, in a new cabin upgrade, you have two possibilities to do so. You either do it via an OEM, SB, or you can go with a supplemental type certificate. So and that is where IAMA comes into uh, the place. So the, we faced a lot of uh, feedback uh, having the STC being a bit of an uncertainty, and that is where your airline would come to, the IAMR, which we see as a home of the STC, uh, and where they can get uh, independent uh, information about values of the, of the STC and where they find reliable partners uh, who stick to a certain standard uh, that they can be ensured meeting the requirements um, they have with their modification to be fitted into the aircrafts. So they can reach out by uh, our website and we will in the future also build uh, an IAMA platform online. And of course, we are real people, so uh, we can be also contacted by email or phone. Right. So when we talk about the OEMSBs, which now let me make sure I get this right, that's the original equipment manufacturer, that'll usually be Airbus or Boeing or, or Bombardier or Mitsubishi or someone, and the SB is a service bulletin, right? Yes. Okay. What's the difference between a service bulletin from, from an airframer and a supplementary type certificate? So basically, they are doing the same thing. Uh, they are there to approve a modification into an aircraft by a national authority like the IASA or uh, in Europe or the FAA in the United States. So, uh, and those follow the same requirements. Either you have an OEMSB or an supplemental type certificate. There is a few differences when you go wire in OEMSB. That becomes very technical. Um, it is uh, an amendment of the TC. 
which is handled a little bit differently by the authorities than the STC. Uh, the OEMSB can only be done by the manufacturers like Airbus and Boeing. The STC can be done by any uh, design organization under EASAR uh, or by an applicant in the FAA side. So it is the independent part. I see. Okay. So, um, and what what would I be wanting if I'm an airline and coming um, and looking at this? Is this a, a new set of seats? Is it installing Wi-Fi? Um, is it winglets? Is it all of those? So basically, uh, it is uh, mainly related to uh, passenger experience uh, within the cabin and also in the connectivity sector. It also can be related to cockpit upgrades when you have an AD node from an uh, authority to fulfill. And uh, as we see lately that uh, airlines also investing into sustainability measures, into uh, reducing fuel consumption, it of course could be modifications done on the airframe itself. But we mainly talk about major FTCs. So really having a modification with a major impact. Right. And so a major impact versus a minor impact would be what kind of thing? A minor impact uh, could be uh, like just exchanging seat cushions or something like that, which are already approved and you would only go into a, a minor uh, change in your uh, cabin um, layout or cabin feeling. Why was Yama created? Well, why did these uh, four, now five, uh, providers decide that actually what we need to do is we need to come together? Because this is quite a disparate set of organisations, right? I mean, you've got uh, people from all across the world here. What's What was the driver behind it? So um, actually the driver behind is that the challenges uh, the STC providers and integrators face at the moment in the retrofit market, uh, they unite us uh, and they unite us worldwide. And those challenges, uh, they appear because of the rising influence of the lessors. So there is more and more aircraft, uh, as you certainly know, being on lease. And uh, the lessors has uh, very different demands than an airline which might operate an aircraft in, in the whole uh, life cycle. So when it comes to the transferability of your aircraft from Europe to the United States to Japan, there's always different national authorities uh, to be involved. So... Uh, and the lessors, of course, demand uh, that there's an easy process. We do not have that at the moment. It's not easy. So we also have quite of an uncertainty on the customer side, how STCs affect uh, the aircraft's value, like the operational limits of the aircraft when it comes to aging aircraft. When it comes to AD notes, there's a lot of uncertainty. What does a modification, a major modification do to my aircraft? Uh, and last but not least, for the independent providers uh, of STCs, also the access to intellectual property, which we need as a base for certification and approval, uh, becomes harder with the new technologies on the Airbus uh, 350 or the Boeing 787. And um, that is actually where the partners felt, even though they are also competitors like EAD and uh, Lufthansa Technik, uh, that a joint approach would help all of us and would really also help uh, the whole retrofit community uh, to solve those challenges. And that is why we created IAMA 
uh, to have an umbrella where we can um, solve uh, the uh, where we, uh, I'm sorry where we can solve the uh, challenges I just named. Okay, interesting stuff. So, what are some of the first things that Yama has been doing? So, um, as you know, I, I think we were all first introduced to Yama uh, this uh, April in Hamburg at the Aircraft Interiors Expo. Um, what's been the response and what have you folks been doing in the meantime? So the response was quite good. So in the meantime, um, what we are concentrating on is our uh, core of the IAMR and our key initiative number two, which is uh, the STC rulebook. We named it like that because what we aim to do is uh, to gather the pains and demands of the operators and also the lessors, as I just named, um, and to really evaluate them over the whole life cycle of an aircraft and to create requirements for a standard to overcome those pains and to fulfill those demands. So that is the very core. Uh, that is on the one hand side really a technical work to do. And on the other hand, we of course will also create um, an online access to that standard. So we call it the IAMR community platform um, where our members then can access the standard and the best practices develop. That is the very core here. Okay, we also already had uh, a first attempt to address key hurdles in modification uh, while taking part in the cabin space life uh, during the AIX in LA. Uh, and we will go on with that throughout the year 2020 uh, to really address pains where we know the answer is already there, right? And beside that, uh, last but not least, of course, um, we do uh, win new members like Euro Composites, and we are in access talks also uh, with other potential members to join. Okay, so when you talk about this STC rulebook, what, what does that look like? Is it a uh, standards document? Is it a set of specifications? Is it um, when you, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm just brainstorming here, is it, is, it, is it when you replace a radio and you have to do these 15 things to make sure that you're in compliance? What, what does it look like? So, uh, first of all, it uh, will not look like uh, a simple standard document. So, we will make it interactive, uh, and this standard will not refer to technical requirements, because there is already standardization organizations like the SAE or ARING uh, doing those technical standards. Our attempt is to really go through the whole process of a modification project approved by STC from an RFP phase over the development of the solution to the serialization into the aircraft up to the after sales and at the final end maybe the demodification of the modification. So that is the phases you always have in a modification project. And at every single phase you have the pains of the operators, which actually are addressed to our members in feedbacks. But also, if you look to the IATA, they have a best practice document for doing cabin modifications, which is full of addressing risks. And we see us as being the answer to those risks, to develop solutions for those, to put it into our IAMA rulebook. So we will have smart measures um, and to really audit our members against that so that an operator or a lesser can be uh, sure 
that we will follow those rules and his provider coming from an IAMA member will follow those rules when doing a modification project. And this will significantly reduce the commercial risk, which is at the moment seen in some major modifications. Right. And so the end result is, if I'm understanding you rightly, that um, airlines who are taking aircraft from lessors can do more improvements and more easily improvements inside their cabins um, without having to go back to the lessors who are then concerned about what that does to the uh, residual value of the aircraft, to subsequent operators. Okay. Absolutely. Right. So that is where we see the big advantage. Um, when we achieve in our Yammer standard, uh, which is comparable with the advantages at some points DSB might have when it comes to transferability, and also combines the advantages the STC has with its flexibility and the speed you can bring up into a project, then there is more choice for an operator to go either the one or the other solution. And at the end, for the final customer, for the passenger, um, it will ensure that new technologies and uh, new comfort will be brought up into the aircraft at a certain speed uh, into the whole fleet of an operator. Right. So, I mean, that sounds like that's a whole bunch of benefits. Um, you were mentioning the different phases of a modification um, and then, of course, the demodification at the end uh, yes. of, of an, uh, well, either an aircraft's lifestyle or a uh, life cycle, rather, or uh, between operators. Which of those phases um, do you see as having the most complicating pain points, as you call them, for, for operators and also for, for lessors? So I think from the operator side, if we if we just put out uh, at the moment the lesser side and only thing on the operator side, the pain might already start at the very beginning of putting together a really good statement of work for the request for proposal, because the statement of work is the core of where everything sets up. So that is from the operator side to have in uh, in supplier who really fulfill certain requirements in the RFP process already uh, would set uh, the success of the whole project from the beginning on because you can lose a modification project already at the very, very beginning uh, within a weak statement of work. Uh, but also uh, after sales is a heavy impact for the operators. So if we consider that modification being safe and secure because it passed approval from the authorities. And if we consider it being in the aircraft, in operation, then of course the operator needs the support from the STC provider and owner in case of impacts, in case of a defect, when it comes to spare materials. So the whole uh, availability of your provider during the, the phase uh, you operate that modification is also a crucial point for from an operator's side and to be safe here. Gotcha. Okay. So looking back at the statement of work before you begin, mm -hmm. um, what are some of the common pitfalls that that you'd see um, airlines falling into? Is it just that they they don't go far enough down the track of how this all works? Is it that they don't have enough of a um, I guess what in uh, project management terms you might call an quote-unquote intelligent customer function and they don't understand well enough how the MRO world works. What are the, what are the, what are the things that go wrong there? So I think we cannot expect as an STC provider 
to always have an, as you called it, intelligent customer, right? Because there is airlines who might not have that deep technical understanding of putting together an, uh, a statement of work. There is other airlines uh, which are uh, which have uh, engineering departments which can. But I think the most uh, important thing is to be aware that a such statement of work really influences the whole project. And what we see here from uh, the STC provider side is statements of work which are very detailed, which are a good base to, be, to get a quotation on and also to uh, plan further work on. But we also see like request for proposals just saying, I want a new premium economy clause installed. This is my seat manufacturers um, and that's it. And that is really something where you then have to work together with the operator to really get an idea of what they really want, except those seats. Right, exactly. So, I mean, you could literally have an airline saying, um, and I'm assuming these would generally be smaller airlines, right? Yeah, generally, yes. But as I said, I would never blame that airline for that because uh, they might not be aware of the uh, of the impact of an as a, as a statement of work. So, but from the IAMA perspective, uh, what we put together here in our uh, rulebook is that our members have to make them aware and have them to guide through that RFP process in this case, the statement of work, so that there is an achievable goal at the end of the project. So that is the other part. So it is one thing to just blame the airline, which I will never do because there is limited resources, but there is a responsibility on the STC provider side to say, look, guys, um, I need more information. Uh, otherwise, I cannot give you a reliable quotation and milestone planning for such a project. So this is on both sides. And we on the IAMR side, we sit on the STC provider side saying, okay, we take that responsibility um, and uh, we guide you through uh, if you do not have the resources in-house. So, and this right, is I mean, one thing we will, we will put into, into requirements uh, and also develop best practice material for the STC providers so that they have a help uh, already in that phase, right? Yeah, right. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, so are you going Are you going with the airline then to their seating provider and having sort of joint meetings and joint working? So you say, well, actually, okay, um, we can install this in this way. It'll require um, X, Y, and Z. Um, what you imagine might happen won't be able to happen because of A, B, and C. Is that the kind of joint working that, that, that IAMA is facilitating at this point? So we will make sure that our IAMA members will facilitate exactly that. IAMA will not necessarily act as a full consultant. We can give advice, independent advice, and we will give that to our airline or lesser members if requested. But we will make sure that whenever an operator or lesser requests an IAMA member, that they follow the requirements in the RFP process which were developed under the IAMA. And this will include a good guidance through the whole RFP process. Right. Okay. So it's and, and as you say, it's interactive, so that an airline can yeah. um, can really customize it to what to what they're looking for. Absolutely, because every project is unique, 
And uh, what we will do is um, we, we take the demand and the pain, we break it down into requirements in the several phases. And it could, of course, be that a certain pain isn't a risk if it's just another word, is not even seen in a specified project. So if you already know that you will have a demodification uh, before your lease end period, you do not might have to fulfill all the requirements when it comes to a better worldwide transferability. So you just cross that out and you can then generate your personal project rulebook, uh, which you can as an operator attach to your RFP. So that is the idea behind, because every project at the end is pretty unique. Right, exactly. And I'd like to come back to that worldwide transferability point that you were just talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there are a lot of people who would imagine that between, you know, the, the joint aviation regulations um, and, uh, you know, all of the partnership working that's been going on between EASA and the FAA as, as yeah. you know, the, 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 the certifying nation providers there. Um, yeah. I feel there's a lot of people who might think, well, isn't it, isn't it already the same? Why is this not all <laughs> already harmonized across the world? What kind of things would, would, would differ? Um, whether that's between the FAA and CAA or between, uh, other national regulators, perhaps uh, regulators that don't have a, uh, a domestic commercial aerospace industry. Yeah. So, so first of all, the question why it is not already harmonized is uh, rather a question um, to raise with the ERSA, FAA, and all the other uh, national authorities. So we are already a step further, having good bilateral agreements in place, right? So between the ESA, the FAA, um, the TCA, and all major um, national authorities, and I would say um, with ESA. And FAA, you can more or less by bilateral cover every single country and every national aviation authority. So, well, that's only the one side of the story, right? The timeline you need for validation can differ in a project depending on what you have installed because the national requirements might not be the same. If you have an ESA project and an ESA approval and you hand it over to an authority having higher requirements in a certain area, like in a certain uh, uh, certification area, uh, then you have to redo your certification on that point. And that is time costly. And uh, the same uh, on the other side is when it comes uh, to the excess of the documentation. If you are a lesser do not know where your aircraft goes next because you just lost your customer for whatever reason and you have an aircraft on ground you remarket at. And unfortunately, your new lessee is not from the same national authority. You have to validate. You have to have access to the STC documentation. And this is the pain really the lessors feel and fear when it comes to STCs because they say, I have um, non-reliable processes, even though there's bilaterals, it is not predictable uh, the timeline from the handover of the aircraft to the validation of the STCs. And that is where IAMA wants to work on with our working groups, uh, where we uh, in, indeed combine uh, the know-how of EASA and FAA. So you very firstly mentioned that we are pretty much spread over the world. So we cover already with Envoy FAA, EASA, and also we have ADHAT resource. So we will put in those experience together and to see 
what best practices we have to make that process smoother from the STC documentation side. And we also reach out to the authorities themselves to say, okay, what's actually your pains when you receive STC documentation for validation? How can we make your life easier so that we can have at the end a smoother process for everyone? Right. I mean, and, and that, that seems to make a lot of sense. I mean, I'm just wanted to dive a little bit deeper into the, the kind of differences that you'd be seeing here. Is it the kind of thing where, for example, um, in terms of seating certification, say, um, EASA allows uh, a little bit more grandfathering of 9G certification for yep. certain aircraft, whereas the FAA doesn't, right? So the FAA had that, that cut off a few years back where they said, no, look, every, every aircraft now has to be certified uh, to 16G in terms of the g Yeah, that's yeah. a pretty good example. And you have to know that in advance. So if you go FAA or EASA, so that is easy to, to overlook, let's say, the differences between those two. Uh, but when there comes then other national authorities in, um, there might not even be the overview at every STC provider uh, to, to fulfill that. And you usually do not fulfill that. If you're requested for an EASA STC, you go on the EASA uh, approval base, right, or certification base. You will not automatically fulfill um, harder requirements because you set those together with the authorities at the very beginning of a project. And that's where we really need to start and where we need to start to evaluate and develop also methods which we put into the standard rulebook if it comes to such a requirement um, to have that inside at the very beginning of a project. To try and put this into a little bit of a, a, a real world context, um, is this something like um, I'm a lessor and the first operator of my aircraft is a certain LCC in Europe? And let's just say it's an A320 family aircraft for sake of... Yeah. Um, for sake of argument, um, is uh, and then either I know or I know that I might want to then um, uh, for the second operator of the aircraft some six to eight years later say um, move it to the United States or somewhere that, that that has those higher standards. Yes. What do I do as a lessor and or first operator airline? Is it that um, I make decisions about the cabin outfit? Um, based on what I assume will later be necessary. So, for example, I make sure that I don't take 9G seats if I'm going to want to pass those seats onwards. Is that the kind of decision that this helps to, 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 to steer and to form? Uh, well, this is actually something uh, which probably the lessor might already have in the contracts. So we go even further. Uh, the, the example is still pretty good with coming from the seats because the one thing is you have the seat approved on a 16g or 9g base that is the one thing if you have the equipment of fulfilling the tasks up to 16g you're on the safe side on the equipment uh what it also when you have to have had approved within the modification project itself uh, if that analysis only reflects 9g then you still would have a problem in validation Luckily, uh, not because the seat doesn't fulfill the 16G, but just the certification, but you would have to redo your certification paper on that point. And if we know that as an STC provider in advance, that we say, okay, you guys have to be compliant with EASA and FAA, well, that is a requirement which could be fulfilled. But you just have 
to state it somewhere and to know it and make it a requirement. And the benefit of Yama in all this is that Yama's SEC rulebook tells people this in advance in, as you're saying, this kind of interactive way so that they understand exactly what they're going to need to do um, to minimize later headaches down the road. Absolutely. So uh, that is the that is the uh, advantage on the on the operator's side, and we also go that far that we say if we do not have a simple solution like just do certification for ESR and FAA in parallel, that would be simple because you already well simple uh, is a is a hard word here, <laughs> but you right. already could do that, right? So there is certification basis on so and you can do that you can do the validation very much in advance and you can uh, have the awareness here uh, but we also go any any further and will be a step any further uh, to see uh, how we can uh, develop solutions where there is no simple answer at the moment uh, so you will have you have stcs which might not be validated um, in the in the very beginning uh, of a, of a project so how can we make also uh, the work of the authorities easier. So what is their pain points uh, so that we can maybe adjust a bit in the STC documentation where it makes sense uh, to have on the authority side on less impact time-wise because at the end it is about the time. It is about the time you get an STC validated if, uh, if your AOC switches to another national authority. I think what I find fascinating about what, what Yama is doing is really seeking to work with all the players here. Yes. Um, rather Absolutely. than just being a, being a helper to one set, right? Absolutely. So we really see that we want to include all players and all stakeholders from the process. So we see as members in the IAMR, the STC providers, the experienced STC providers, which we say have also responsibility uh, to give a certain quality into the market, right? And that is what we want to do with the IAMR. We do see uh, the supplier OEMs, the seed OEMs, uh, the, equip the manufacturers, the equipment manufacturers, like Eurocompasses, they have a lot of experience they can bring in to uh, what causes pain on their side, and they also have solutions, right? Then we have the airlines, we have the lessors, because the, the best way really to understand what in, in lessors' pain is, is to talk with them and to talk the true ones. And you can imagine that a lesser does not want to explain that to every single potential provider. So let them explain it to IEMR, let them hand it over to us, uh, and we find a solution collectively. And we also want to integrate uh, the uh, airframe manufacturers because we see that they also have an advantage here. Uh, if you have STCs, which are of a certain quality, which we might fulfill even their needs because they will have their aircraft back in their engineering and after sales, maybe at a certain at a certain time. Um, so we want to integrate them as well. And we also reach out to the authorities. So it is a very collaborative uh, intent we have here, um, which is the beauty of IAMR, but also a challenge. Right, and and it's going to be fascinating to see that that challenge developing over the years. What what's next for for Yama? Is it is it putting this stuff into practice? Is it expanding in terms of membership? 
So what's next? So first of all, um, we need our legal entity and that will be there in January. So um, we now we are working under a contract with the four plus one partners. But of course, we want to gain more members uh, and they are to come. And uh, to have that, we have an entity. We will have a German association um, actually based in Hamburg. Uh, as we see, Hamburg as being the aviation center in Europe beside Toulouse, of course. Um, so it will be based on Hamburg. That's unfortunately only stupid organizational stuff, uh, but we have to do it and we will do it. So uh, what is way more interesting probably for um, your listeners is that we develop the rulebook um, in the, the concept and the prototype until end of this year. We will go into selected feedbacks with airlines and lessors. So if there is anyone out there who really wants to dig into, just give me a shout. But we also have, of course, uh, um, some of our stakeholders already uh, in our, um, let's say, database and uh, to talk to. We will evaluate that. And then we will hand out the first rulebook, version one, um, at the AIX 2020. So that is our major goal. There's um, a lot of things happening around it. We have our working groups running. So we have working groups evaluating um, the access to IP. We have a working group evaluating also um, the transferability issues. So what major uh, attempt is really to bring the rulebook to life at the AIX 2020. Hey, uh, fantastic. And, and Nicole, thank you so much. This has been a really interesting conversation. Uh, listeners, we certainly hope you enjoyed it. And we're always keen to find out what you think. Please feel free to email me at john at runwaygirlnetwork.com with any suggestions. Uh, thanks also to our guest, Nicole Nowak. Nicole, where can folks continue the conversation with Iyama online? Well, actually, you can reach out always to www.imalliance.iro or just uh, message me on LinkedIn or give me a private email, So, uh, which is also written on the website. And I am happy to answer all questions again uh, and going even deeper into any topic. Uh, and I really enjoyed that conversation. Thank you, John, for having me. My absolute pleasure. Uh, as ever, listeners, you can find me on Twitter at ThatJohn and everything from RGN on Twitter at RunwayGirl and, of course, at RunwayGirlNetwork.com. If you're enjoying these conversations, please do leave a rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening.